Hey, we're going to continue our series this morning, Jesus the King who saves from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're starting, uh, not starting chapter 5, but we're at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, which is from chapter 5 to chapter 7. So open up your Bibles there, Matthew 5 from verse 17, and we're going to read all the way to verse 48. So it's a big section today. I'm nervous about how long it might take even just reading. So let's get stuck into it. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. And I am reading from the ESV this morning. Matthew chapter 5, all the way till the end, from verse 17. Not the whole thing. Are you ready? Matthew 5 from verse 17. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same um, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father God, this is a huge passage and lots of truth in there that um, kind of will blow our minds if we know the Old Testament well enough. And we pray that you would teach it to us as our great teacher, that we might understand it in all of its fullness as you intend it. There's a reason this part of the Bible is one of the most famous parts of of any writing quoted in all of the world. Even non-Christians often like referring to parts of this. And so we pray that you would give us a deep and true understanding of it. And there's a lot at stake. We are told if we respond wrongly, we will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If we respond rightly, we will be called great in the kingdom. And it can even be worse... If we don't respond at all, maybe, we won't be able to enter the kingdom at all. So please speak to us, Lord, that we might be perfect like you, our Heavenly Father, and be part of your kingdom and its show in all of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to put a few scenarios before you this morning as we start. And I would love to know, and you don't have to shout this out, how would you respond in these cases? So... Number one, someone comes to our church and they really seem to enjoy it. One Sunday they ask you after church, hey, do you and the church follow the Sabbath? Uh, You know, they say that this is very important to them. And if, if, because they feel that this is what God wants us to do, it's part of his word. And so if the church doesn't do that, this is a deal breaker for them. They won't be coming back. So you've been put on the spot. How do you answer them? Or how about this? Someone wants to join the ministry or the ministry team that that maybe you're a part of and you think, that's great, man, these guys have been here for years and they will be a great fit and they they will exemplify the values that we hold to as a church and as Christians. And so you, you meet up with them to try and see how they're going in their walk with Jesus because it's only through that that we understand if someone's a, a suitable volunteer as they represent Jesus and serve his church. And as you're talking, um, they start sharing with you. And one of the things that pop out is that they are living with their girlfriend. They're not married. They're sharing a room. They're sharing a bed. And they explain to you that they're following Jesus. They don't follow any laws. And they reckon Jesus would be fine with this. How do you respond? Maybe you're here this morning and those scenarios don't mean anything to you because you're just checking out Christianity. Maybe you've come to a place of emptiness and unfulfillment and a deep longing for something more, a fuller life, 
a richer life? And, and maybe you're just wondering, is the answer in God? And maybe you're wondering, how is Christianity different to other religions? How is Jesus different to all the other religious founders of the world? Does he have something better to offer me? Now, this morning, as we continue to go through the Sermon on the Mount, I think, God willing, at the end of it, you'll be able to answer all these questions. Now, what all these questions and scenarios, I think, ultimately boils down to is this. What is the relationship between Jesus and the law as we find it in the Old Testament of our Bibles? Is he going to demand we follow a bunch of rules and laws and there's some sort of blessing from God if we do, just like every other religious leader? Or has he got something different in store for us? And hopefully after today, you'll feel better equipped to read the Old Testament of your Bible. It's a really fat part of your Bible, eh? It's about 60 or 70% of it. By far, it's the majority of our Bibles. And so, uh, we want to read them, and we should. But often when we do read them, we think, how does this affect me? How does this relate to me today as a follower of Jesus? Should I not eat pork? You know, no bacon. Don't tell my wife that. She loves bacon. Um, You know, should I be circumcised? What do I do with all these laws I read? Well, we want to know that, right? Rather than just kind of not touching this big part of our Bible. You know, we people who say we love the Word, all of it. We trust all of it. So we want to know, love, and listen to it. And hopefully after today we understand how to relate to that fat part of our Bibles better through Jesus. All right, so here we go. There's three things. The first thing is this that I want us to see from this passage. is that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets for us. Now, remember what's been happening, okay? Maybe this is your first time here. Jesus has gone up a mountain. He's got all of his followers there, and he is beginning to teach them. He started already. And he's, what he's doing is enacting Moses, what Moses did at Mount Sinai after the Exodus, when God shared the Ten Commandments with Israel. And we've picked up on this because Matthew has already been showing us that Jesus is very much like Moses. Remember right back from his birth even before we looked uh, before Christmas when we looked at that. In fact, he is the new and greater Moses that Moses himself says in Deuteronomy 18:15 he says you should follow him, the one that comes after me. Listen to him. That's why Matthew's Gospel is arranged uh, kind of around these five major teaching blocks, just like Moses wrote five books. And so the Sermon on the Mount we started last week is the first of these teaching blocks from chapter 5 to 7. Now the key though, listen, here's the key. The key is not just to see how Jesus is similar to Moses, but actually how he's very different to Moses in a lot of ways. And that kind of teaches us how much he is greater and how he is better. And there are two huge aspects of what Moses did that Jesus completely skipped over that he's going to be addressing today. Last week, if you were here, Jesus shared all these blessings with his followers, right? We know them famously as the Beatitudes. And he told them to be uh, the salt of the earth and the light of the world as they go out. And all the Jews, right, that that would know the law of Moses... I reckon would be thinking, now that he's finished with that, he's, they would be going, whoa, 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 Jesus, just wait a minute. What about the rules? And what about the curses? Jesus, hey, look, maybe you don't know what you're doing here, mate. 
And this is how you're meant to do it. Jesus, remember Moses? You know, you're trying to imitate him, but we think you're failing. So Moses shared a lot of these rules with us. And then he gave us all these blessings by saying, if you follow all these rules, these are the things that God is going to bless you with. And then he shared all these curses as well. And, And that was his way of saying, if you hear these things, if you don't keep them, these curses will fall upon you. And so Jesus, those three aspects are key. You can't just skip two of them and just go to the blessings and, and just be all happy, happy, hey, everyone, happy. Everyone is blessed. That's what every one of Jesus' hearers would have thought. And look how he answers them in verse 17. This shows me I'm think, following the right train of thought because this is how he answers them in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Did you hear what Jesus said? He says, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think that. That's what his hearers are thinking. You know that when Jesus you know, talks about the law and the prophets, that's kind of shorthand for the Old Testament, right? All of the Jewish writings, just to be clear. So Jesus clearly is not with the liberal Christians who wants to just do away with the law and say, hey, I don't want anything to do with that. I just follow Jesus. There's not a lot of things that I need to do or not do. You know, I'm, I'm just a follower of Jesus. Do I have to go to church? No, no, no. I, I just, I, me and Jesus, man, we're tight. Jesus is not with people of that kind who's trying to dish the Old Testament. And in fact, Jesus says the law and the prophets will only pass away when this heaven and this earth pass away one day and everything has been completed. And so Jesus warns us also not to make little of the commandments in the Old Testament. Listen to verse 19. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is against those who dish the law and the prophets. But you know what? He's also against the legalists who believe that they are saved by doing the commandments. He says there at the end of verse 18, I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, Jesus doesn't say, don't dish the law, you have to do the law. No, 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 no. He says, don't dish the law, but I have come to do the law for you. I have come to fulfill the law, not you. You have tried, and you have failed, and you are not capable of doing it. But I am capable, and I am compassionate on you, and I want to do it in your place. I'm doing it for you. Now remember how I said, if we think about Jesus and he's kind of how he's different to Moses, we will understand him better. Well, this is a key part. This is where the point comes in that Jesus never shared any curses to those belonging to his heavenly kingdom. Why not? Well, it's because he's taken the curses upon himself in his death on the cross. Think with me. Just think with me. I know it's hot. Your brain's probably going, overheat, overheat, overheat. We can do this. Have a listen to this. Jesus said last week, Blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And you know what? Jesus was hungry and he was thirsty for righteousness in a deeper and more profound way than any of us. Any other human being, in fact, that's ever walked the planet will see that under point two. And was he blessed? with being satisfied? No. He died thirsty on a cross, which was a sign of his spiritual uh, thirst that was unquenched. 
He was not satisfied so that, um, so that we who actually don't hunger and thirst for righteousness perfectly might be satisfied in Him. It's interesting because right at the end of Jesus' life, his soul was in anguish, wasn't he? He wasn't satisfied. He, he bore the curse even though he fulfilled the law so that we might receive the blessing. Do you see why there's no curses as part of Jesus' great sermon? Here's another one Jesus shared last week. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Think about how often Jesus mourned. He mourned at Lazarus' grave as he watched the results of a rebellious world, as he watched someone dead. He, he, he mourned as he watched and cried with those people that day and with a hurting world. Jesus mourned over Jerusalem because he's tried to gather its people to him over and over and they kept rejecting him and wouldn't come to him. Jesus mourned the state of the temple and the state of the hearts of the religious leaders and how they're treating those who they're meant to be loving and caring for. And was Jesus comforted because of this perfect mourning? No way. When he died, his soul was in anguish. He was sweating blood the night before he passed away. And did his friends comfort him? No. They all deserted him. What about his father? While on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus was not comforted so that we who don't mourn perfectly over people and over places and over the world might in fact take the blessing that he should have gotten. He bore the curse so that we might receive the blessing. So do you see what Jesus has done for you in fulfilling the law and the prophets? Do you see how amazing he is and how, how, how different he is to all the other religious founders? He doesn't point to laws and say, hey, follow those laws, do them. He points to himself and he says, follow me. I fulfilled all of the law in your place and taken your punishment. Trust me and be blessed. Have you done that? The, the result is that God becomes your father. He's not, he's not an angry judge who's just sitting there waiting to smite you as soon as you break one of his laws. No. The relationships that, that, that Christians have with God is as a father with his children because of Jesus' great work. And, and Jesus will go on to teach us the law in its fullness, which we'll look at next. But we don't do that out of duty. We do it out of delight in wanting to become like our Heavenly Father. Listen to what Jesus says at the end of our passage, Matthew 5.45. So after he goes through some of the laws and expands them, if you like, he says, do these so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And again in verse 48, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So those who trust in Jesus' work of fulfilling the law and the prophets for them in their place have God as their heavenly Father. Now you tell me another religion that can offer you that as a gracious gift because of the faith that you have in its founder. There is none. None can but Jesus. Remember, so whatever comes next, and there's a lot um, in the Sermon on the Mount, it must be viewed in light of this relationship with God as your Father if you trust in Jesus. But I want to finish off this point like this. Uh, one, of, one of the things our boys have recently been fascinating with 
is their own shadows. I don't know if your kids have gone through that stage. It's quite amusing, to be honest. You know, it's like, Dad, Dad, look at, what I'm, look at my shadow. Look at what I'm doing with my legs. And they're like walking and doing weird things. Or they're pointing at my shadow, laughing at someone. You know, normally people laugh at me when they look at me, not at my shadow. And, and it's quite funny. Uh, you know, so you kind of just go like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, why would I be looking at your shadow, at your legs, when I could just look at your legs themselves? And I thought, well, just imagine you go through your whole life and you never uh, stare at people's faces, but you only stare at their shadows. And you speak to their shadows. And you have a relationship with their shadows. And you base everything about their looks on the shadow that you see on the ground. How boring would life be? How boring would people be? And how would you just you think of the amount of beauty that you would miss in people's faces and how unique everyone is and the different features of every person and you could see the creator God in all of them. Just imagine that. But here's the kicker. If you try and have a relationship with God based on the law, and not based on who Jesus is and what he's done for you, it's like you're always relating to God, to his shadow. He's talking to his shadow, trying to follow his shadow, and it's not beautiful. That's what the Bible teaches. Have a look here at Colossians 2. It also deals with it in Hebrews. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Those are all things about the law. These, Paul says, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, don't get stuck on the law. Get stuck on Jesus. He's the true, clear, and amazing shadow, I mean person, that the shadow of the law is pointing to. You know, and so if the law doesn't make you focus on Jesus, but on what you must do, well, then actually you're not seeing it right at all. You're not doing it right at all. You're not understanding it biblically. You have to get this about Christianity, to have a faith that's full of joy, a God that's full of beauty, and a life of contentment and rest. And if you call yourself a Christian and you don't experience Jesus like this so richly and beautifully, then... Then, may, you know, even though you're trying your guts out, maybe you're stuck on his shadow. Maybe you're stuck on his shadow. Maybe you're trying to earn your salvation through your own works. And it's a slog. You know, a bit later in Matthew, Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. I mean, Matthew 11, verse 28. Yeah, to you, if this is you, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's talking to people who's loading themselves with burdens of the law and they cannot achieve it. Stop laboring and loading yourself with tasks. Simply rest in Jesus' finished work of fulfilling the law for you. Now that is what the Sabbath was pointing to. And that is what we can experience every day as Christians. So that's the first thing, man. I love this, this point. I was just praising God when I finished... It, it was amazing. And I hope you see it in the same way. Jesus fulfills the law for us. And the second one is this. Jesus teaches the law to us. And I was wondering if I should put it at the end there perfectly. But hopefully you see that. 
That's what he does, right? From verse 21 all the way through to verse 48, the whole rest of the section. And I know it's a lot to cover. Don't stress. We're not going to cover all of it in detail. And so we will be out of here by lunch. And by lunch, I mean around two. So don't stress. We'll be out of here soon. Now, one of the things that you see as you go through this section is this repeated refrain, which is pretty much impossible to miss. It goes something like this. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. It's repeated six times, pretty much in an identical way. And in each case, Jesus mentions a part of the Old Testament, and then he explains it in a radically different way. He either shows that it's deeper than we thought, he either broadens it out to reach more people than we imagined, or he just radically transforms it altogether. And so that is what he does. But what's important to see is that Jesus is not giving us a new law, but he puts himself forward as the ultimate teacher of God's law. Now, how do I know that? Well, think a bit back a few weeks when Tony was taking us through Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And and, and do you remember that? The famous bit that we love to think about. Every time Satan tempts Jesus with something, Jesus says, it is written. And then he quotes something of the Old Testament. And that was his way of saying, Satan, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to listen to God. But that is not what he does this time, is it? He doesn't say, it is written, but I say to you. No. Because if he did that, he would be saying, dish the old law, and here is a new one. But what Jesus says is he says, you have heard it said. Because people have heard the law taught by others. And he's mainly thinking of the scribes and the Pharisees here. And Jesus kind of has a bit of a biff with them, as you'll pick up throughout Matthew. Now, Jesus is saying, this stops. I am the teacher of God's law, the perfect teacher who teaches the law perfectly in all of its fullness, because he was actually the one that was there when it was given. He knows what was the heart behind each and every word and law. And so as Jesus teaches it, it becomes clear that he expects a righteousness far deeper, uh, far deeper than the seen and superficial righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's why Jesus says in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So as we listen to Jesus now, I think we'll be blown away when we realize how far we actually fall short of God's standards. Much more than we imagine. Maybe it's just me. But at the same time, we know that it's to this high standard that Jesus actually fulfilled the law for us. So his righteousness given to us is perfectly done. And we will enter the kingdom of heaven as we trust him. So let's listen to our great teacher on a few of these laws. Look, I'm not going to deal with all of them. It's a lot, isn't it? So I'm going to deal with three of them. Uh, The more simpler ones that I think are easy to understand, I've left out. And I've dealt with the next three. So murder is the first one. When it comes to murder, Jesus teaches in verse 21 to 26 that murder is much more than physical. And the judgment for murder is much more than physical too. Jesus says that even when you harbor anger towards someone and you're spiteful and and insulting, it's like you're killing people. 
Murdering for Jesus and his followers doesn't need to include the shedding of blood. It's to treat someone as if they don't exist. I've done that before and it hit me what I was actually doing. It is to wish someone was dead. It's to kill someone's reputation through character assassination. How do you feel right now? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? To, to think that we're not very different from the murderers in prison. We are, you know, Jesus would say there's a difference in our sins, different levels, different punishments, and on the surface certainly we're different, but not by much when Jesus starts exposing our hearts. Now in some cases, this is getting to the judgment side of things, this might get you in trouble with the authorities, and Jesus says rightly so, pay back every single uh, penny that you owe, right? It, It will get us in trouble with the authorities and in a physical way. And so Jesus says, go and work it out with your accuser before the authorities get involved. But Jesus goes even a step further. He says, and even more than that, he says, go and deal with relational breakdowns that the authorities don't think are serious. So before you perform your duties to God, if your brother has something against you, Take initiative and go to them. Sort it out. We cannot be at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ and serve the church and serve Jesus and pretend that everything is fine. We need to try our best to resolve things. For Jesus, you see, our relationship with each other is more important than what we do for Him. Did you notice that? He says, if you're trying to do the whole religious thing, stop. Go and deal with your relationships before you come to me. And the judgment for relational hate and contempt and murder can be eternal. And so we have to be careful. You might go through all of life and never end up in prison as a murderer, but you will stand before the God of the universe who created every single person in his image and likeness, and you could be punished for murder in the way that Jesus describes here. It'll be much worse than going to prison. And maybe the best way to summarize Jesus' teaching in these verses is found in Romans 12, verse 18. Look at what Paul says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see, sometimes it just isn't possible uh, to be at peace with people. Maybe because the other party doesn't want to come to the table. Maybe because the other person or party don't acknowledge any of their contributions to the situation or any of the sins that they have done. And maybe they just don't care. They don't give a stuff. And in that case, that's okay. You have done your bit. It's important that if it is dependent on you, and if it is possible, that you live at peace with everyone. So that's the first thing we can listen to from Jesus as our great teacher. The second one is this. When it comes to adultery, this is what Jesus teaches in verses 27 to 30. He says it's not something that simply happens under the bedsheets, but it's something that happens in our hearts. When you see someone of the opposite sex and you lustfully desire after them in your mind and in your heart, well, you've committed adultery. And Jesus specifically mentions, I find this interesting, men looking at women with lustful intent. It's almost like he knows that we struggle with this most. And so what do we do, all of us, not just the men? Well, we take what we look at 
and what we do very seriously. You see, if anything we watch causes our minds and our hearts to sin and to have lustful intent, then we take radical actions to remove it from our lives. Okay, so, so if going to the beach causes you to struggle with lustful desire because, you know, there's half-naked people everywhere, and nude beaches are probably completely out of the question, but hey, who knows? But if that is something you struggle with, you know, don't go to the beach altogether, or, you know, blindfold yourself when you go, or just stare at the sand the whole time, or go to the dog beach, or something, but be radical about it. Don't just pretend that it's not an issue for you. Hey, no one can see what's going on here. Well, that one, I'll put my sunnies on, and I can even look at more people, and no one will notice. Be serious about what you do, what you look at, and how it affects your heart. We have to fight to keep our hearts from sinning. You know, the sin that happens in our heart is the most dangerous kind because no one can see it. And so we can often put, a, put ourselves forward as having it all together and not struggling with sin. And it's interesting, I was listening to a guy, I was reading, he's, um, uh, he's listened to his commentary and he actually says, as new Christians, lots of our sins are often very external and visible. You know, you're swearing and... Uh, whatever things it is, you're getting smashed, uh, all things that everyone can see. But as you mature, often our sins become more inward, and it's harder for people to see them, and so it's important that you deal with them rightly. And so we need to be very careful, because deep down the most detestable sins could be happening, even though on the outside we can portray ourselves very well. Think about it like this. It's almost like there are kind of different channels to our hearts that can let sin enter. And whenever we find those channels, we need to actively and radically cut ourselves off from it. Okay, so whether it's a raunchy series on Netflix, whether it's dodgy music or a bad website, cut it off. God knows what's in your heart. Maybe you can fool the world, even your spouse. But you cannot fool God. It's better for you to cut off some of these things that feel like they're part of you. Man, I can never stop watching TV. Oh, no, it's my favorite thing on Netflix. How am I going to survive without it? Cut it off. You will survive. Cut off these things that even though you feel they're a part of you. Because it's better that you do that than for all of yourself to be thrown into hell one day. One thing is sure from this section is that the sins of the heart don't just stay away or disappear by themselves. They need active and radical chopping off. And are you doing this? Or are you just happily coasting along thinking, hey, Jesus will work in me and it'll just happen? Lastly, under this point, I want to look at Jesus' teaching in verses 38 to 42, 42 which is about not retaliating or being revengeful. You know, this is a normal thing for human beings to do, isn't it? And certainly it was back in Moses' day. So there was a law that said uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it was a great law. It was meant to kind of uh, prevent this endless cycle of revenge and retaliation. You knock my tooth out, well, I'm going to punch you now. Gee, I'm going to make you feel a... Oh, I knocked out two of your teeth. Oh, sorry, man. I was just trying to get one and, you know, make you feel a bit the pain. That Oh, well, now, and now there's three teeth and four teeth. And so it just goes on and on and on. And 
later on, no one's got any teeth, you know? So the point is that there's this ongoing cycle of revenge and retaliation, and this law was meant to break it because we often act out of our anger especially. So this is a good law. But Jesus says, instead of of retaliation, do reconciliation. You see, Christians are to be people that are breaking bad cycles because they're extremely generous. You know, so you get hit on the cheek, You don't hit the other person on the cheek, right? That would be an eye for an eye. No, you turn the other cheek to invite restoration. And this is a a verse that many people misunderstand. They think Christians should be wusses. Oh, hit me, hit me again. Oh, I can't do anything. No, no, that's not what it's saying. Remember how those people used to greet each other, how friends used to have relationship. They wouldn't go in for a handshake. What would they do? They would turn the cheek because they would kiss each other which is weird to us, right? But this is what they did back then. And so what Jesus is saying is when someone hits you, don't retaliate, but open up yourself for reconciliation, for relationship. Turn the other cheek and that's your way of saying, hey, I forgive you. I want to be reconciled with you. I want to have a relationship with you. And so Christians are to be crazy generous and break these bad cycles. And it's not just about... Being physically hit, it's about uh, you know, forcefulness, it is about lawsuits and even cycles of poverty. And obviously, listen, don't misunderstand Jesus here. We are not going to let people take advantage of, uh, of us in an ongoing way. The Bible clearly teaches that elsewhere. But we certainly don't take revenge. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy and later in Romans as well. He says, vengeance is mine. We don't take vengeance, we don't revenge, we don't retaliate. We leave that to Him to take care of the wrongs. And we just love the heck out of people and break these bad cycles. Okay, so that's enough in terms of all of this for today. You see, Jesus teaches the law to us perfectly. He is our true teacher and is the embodiment of the law as well. At the end of the Sermon of the Mount, we read this. Have a listen to this from Matthew 7, 28, 29. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Here is the true teacher of the law. And people could see it, and I hope you see it. And then after that, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Did you notice Jesus doesn't say, listen to the law. He says, listen to me. We listen to Jesus. Every page, even in the Old Testament we read, and we should read it, we shouldn't be hearing the voice of Moses and the prophets, but Jesus. We read it in the light of His finished work on the cross. But you know what? As I came to this point of the the passage and of my sermon, I felt like something was still missing. I don't know if you feel that way. And that's something I think is, is once again one of those differences between Moses and Jesus. When you read the Sermon on the Mount till the end, Jesus comes down and that's it. But what about Moses when he came down? He came down with these huge tablets with the law engraved in them. And, and, and that's what he did. And, but Jesus doesn't. And, and, and you know what? He only taught us six, and you can maybe say five and a half, of these Old Testament laws. What about the rest? 
Well, here's the third and last point, and it's very short. Jesus writes the law on our hearts. Don't forget what Jesus said right at the beginning. He hasn't just come to fulfill the law. He has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Prophecies like this one, for example. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. We've looked at this earlier in the book of Matthew, actually. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, Jesus doesn't write the law that he understands in all of its fullness on tablets of stone. There probably won't be enough stone on the planet. He writes it on human hearts by his Spirit who dwells in us. And this is not simply the law as we find in the Old Testament. No, it's the law in all of its fullness and perfection as he's just explained to us in all of that same kind of depth and breadth in the rich and profound way he's shown us today. And we have the spirit of the law written on our hearts, not just the letter of the law. And so we know its true meaning. But not only that, Jesus also through his spirit enables us to follow the law, enables us to desire it, and to just love it. We don't do it out of duty, but out of delight. Let me finish like this. Have a listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 22. He says this, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. See what he says? The law acted as a guardian to look over us until Jesus came. And so Jesus has arrived, friends. And I just wonder why would you be under this guardian when you can be under Christ, who cares for us so much better? I mean, what child would want to stay at daycare all day when they could be with their parents and their family at home? Right? Which child would want to stay in a foster home when they could have parents like Jesus that they could go to? I don't think anyone. And Jesus has come to come under his care. Come home. He has fulfilled the law for you. He teaches it to us perfectly. And he works in us to desire to be like our Heavenly Father, to pursue our Father's perfection. And he enables us to achieve it. Not maybe in its fullness here, but we will one day. Come under his care. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for opening up your word to us this morning. Lord, it's a, it's a tough passage in some way, and it's a big topic as we think about how we relate to the law. But I think there's some big, big rocks that's been put into place this morning, hopefully, Uh, For some, maybe they're already in there, and for some of us, it might be the first time. But thank you so much for how your perfect plan has worked out, as the law was our guardian for a time, but now we can come under Christ, the one that uh, the law points to. We don't want to be staring and having relationship with your shadow as we uh, try to follow the law. We want to stare at you face to face as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And have a relationship with you through him. That's far greater, far better. And it's biblical. It's what you desire for us. So help us, Lord, to respond rightly. And to do this not out of duty, but delight. 
And would you please continue to work in our hearts? That's one of the key things that, keep coming, that keeps coming out of this. And this is not about a surface thing, about a physical thing that we do as the Pharisees and scribes like to do. This is a change of the heart that needs to happen. And only you can do that. And you promised to do it in Jeremiah 31. And we know that Jesus has come to fulfill that. And so Jesus, do that work in us, please, as we seek you and as we trust you and as we listen to you, our great teacher and king. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.